Hi. Welcome to Feminine. This is our third episode of season one summer series titled Naked. We are naked in this space in the sense that there's not much to it. It's going to be real simple. Um, The beat in which I am waiting for has been completed. So we will be getting that, but I will not be applying it until August, or excuse me, until autumn, because it's really important for, for us to stay in this space of simplicity. That being said, we are on our third episode, which also happens to land on the new moon. This new moon is a super moon in July. And July, if you are like me in any regard, is a massive time of transformation. Summer is an incredible time of heat and processing and kind of like um, turning coal into a diamond or, you know, Really, there are so many gems that you could reference in that space, but summer is like that for me, and I welcome you into that space while we are here being transparent and simple and ready for the process. A large reason why I wanted us to land on the full moon is to parallel, or excuse me, the new moon is to parallel the necessity of darkness and the role that it plays in our spirituality. So thank you for being here with me today. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This is Feminine, the podcast dedicated to the feminine lens. My name is Priscilla Alexandra Hine. I am a licensed practitioner of the healing arts and a licensed clinical social worker in the state of California. We talk here about spirituality, mental health, and the healing arts, and lots of little political uh, interludes, or whatever you want to call them, (laughs) here and there. This episode, I don't plan on making it very long. I'd like to keep it somewhat short for us, because new moon time is a time of intention. If you are a person who bleeds, some of us bleed on the new moon, some of us bleed on the full moon. If you are a person who uh, follows the lunar cycle, you may have transitioned from full to new moon bleeding at certain points. The moon will be the pattern in which we follow in feminine, not because of mysticism, because of the role the moon plays in our growth as beings who are connected to the planet. The lunar cycle is very natural for us, and it is a reflection of gardening and really the essence of um, planting seeds, watching them, tending to the seed, nurturing the seed, watching the seed grow, and reaping the benefits of the fruit and or um, whatever is involved in the process of that which we grew. So thank you so much for being here. The new moon is... A very magical, and this is my perspective anyway, uh, a very magical time. I There's a lot of like um, hoopla, I guess, around the full moon, which makes sense. The full moon is legit. I love the full moon. It's certainly beautiful, isn't it? But we're looking at the new moon in the sense that this moon is not seen. And it is not um, bright. It's shadowy and dark. <laughs> Thus the play on the soul, right? So a lot of times we reference light 
as if that is when the soul is in its greatest form of completion and or really shining. And we don't reference the shadow aspect of the spirit. And the shadow is just as necessary and pertinent to the human experience as the light. Without shadow, we don't have light. Without light, we don't have shadow, right? They play, they are a play on one another. The shadow part of you is the part of you that you really don't want to look at. Ooh, isn't this so frustrating <laughs> with this new moon in particular? Oh, dear. Uh, the shadow part of you is the part of you that is um, ashamed and maybe even feeling raw. It's the part of you that is not allowed to be honored oftentimes. For example, your shadow self is, you know, could be one of the following, could be very self-centered, could be very controlling or stubborn. Mm, the shadow part of you could be very irrational or impulsive, all of which are in society deemed as negative things, which can be negative if not utilized properly and or acknowledged for what they actually are, which are aspects of our character. So when it comes to shadow work and when it comes to talking about shadow, it's important to remember that nobody goes without that flip side of the coin, right? All people, including all gurus, have a shadow side. And it's our shadow that keeps us in a place of doubt and or fear oftentimes of moving forward. I think an incredible example of this, whom I will often reference in this podcast particularly because I have an interesting dynamic with him, is Jesus. <laughs> um, Jesus had this really amazing shadow side, and we don't honor it. Jesus was actually um, pretty rude sometimes, and flipped over tables and confronted people and got real in their face. Shadow. Jesus also drank a lot of wine and hung out with people who society would deem um, undeserving of being hung out with. Shadow. Um, other examples of Jesus's shadow side are when he is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. So that brings us back full circle because this is exactly why we have this episode. Uh, this is where we're going to talk about the dark night of the soul and what does that look like and why in God's name have we maybe not heard of this and or why are we unaware of this in the church if you belong to the church or if you just are a spiritual person. Alas, thank God for mysticism, right? So if you're not familiar with St. John of the Cross, he is a gentleman of the church who was a mystic, and he wrote in incredible works for the church. One of them was The Ascent of Mount Carmel, and the other is known as The Dark Night of the Soul. And uh, in Spanish, we would call it La Noche Oscura del Alma. I would like to read to you La Noche Oscura del Alma, and I would like you to just kind of stay in this space with me as we come together during this shadowy time 
and go within, allowing the parts of us that are most uncomfortable to serve a purpose, which I hope this poem by St. John of the Cross helps you journey as well. Once in the dark of night, inflamed with love and yearning, I arose, O coming of delight, and went, as no one knows, when all my house lay long in deep repose. All in the dark went right, down secret steps, disguised in other clothes. O coming of delight, in dark when no one knows, when all my house lay long in deep repose. And in the luck of night, in secret places where no other spied, I went without my sight, without a light to guide, except the heart that lit me from inside. It guided me and shone, surer than noonday sunlight over me, and led me to the one whom only I could see, deep in a place where only we could be. O oh, guiding dark of night, O oh, dark of night more darling than the dawn, O oh, night that can untie a lover and loved one, lover and loved one moved in unison, and on my flowering breast, which I had kept for him and him alone, he slept as I caressed and loved him for my own, breathing in air from redolent cedars blown. And from the castle wall, the wind came down to winnow through his hair, bidding his fingers fall, searing my throat with air, and all my senses were suspended there. I stayed there to forget. There on my lover, face to face, I lay. All ended, and I let my cares all fall away, forgotten in the lilies of that day. <sighs> Let's take a little minute and uh, process that together. I'd like to read to us Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Next, I would like to read to us 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. 
It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completedness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a woman, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. There's this really interesting transition that happens to us that St. John of the Cross talks about when we are in the night and things are very dark and we do not know where we're going and we don't know what it looks like and we're terrified out of our minds. And all we have is this trust and faith that somehow we're going to come out of it. And that is this metamorphosis space, this transformation of the butterfly that has chewed through the cocoon. Because it takes the dark night of the soul for many of us to learn about what really matters and what we hold dear and why. And that is love. It's, it's funny because we... Uh, on our last episode, on our full moon, I talk a little bit about love, and I imagine I'll probably keep talking about it quite a bit because it's a common theme in trying to create peace for the greater good of society. Additionally, I talk quite a bit about love in the context of First John 4 per our last episode because God is love, and when we allow God to love us exactly who we are and we give ourselves permission to be flawed and to be in our shadow space, even though we know it has caused great harm to some people, we are still beloved. Love never goes away. It endures all things. That's what we know to be true. This is evidenced by people who genuinely love us. It's just there. Love just exists exactly as it is. I bring this to you today on this new moon so that we can plant some seeds into ourself and the parts of us that we don't want people to see. I bring this to you today because your shadow is just as important as your light and it may not be the part of you that you are most proud of or you don't put on your profile for the internet, but it is exactly um, the same part of you that has brought you to the light and allows you to transition into that full moon space 
a sunflower wasn't always a sunflower. It started out as a little seed, and it had to endure quite a bit in order for it to reach that depth of beauty. We are exactly the same. And God reminds us of this time and time again. The next thing I want to talk to you about uh, in the context of the dark night of the soul and, and why I believe we, um, as a culture, can really benefit from this is when Jesus is praying in Gethsemane. And I want us to remember, please, that the Bible is not something to be worshipped, okay? We don't worship the Bible. It is a reference for ancient knowledge and wisdom and stories of people who have endured quite a bit. My lens, because of how I was raised, is Christian. That's my perspective, and I cannot change it. In fact, oftentimes you can diagnose somebody with a personality disorder if they do embark on these really massive changes in their identity. And I'm not diagnosing anybody but I am giving you information as to what it is involved, what is involved in creating an identity, nurture versus nature. However, your identity was imprinted is a big deal. And as much as many times we'd like to eradicate it, the reality is, is it exists and we can't change it. So our identity remains the same. And uh, that being said, I will reference often Christianity because that's my perspective, but that doesn't mean that that is uh, an opportunity or a forced moment to recognize that this is the end-all, be-all of knowledge um, on spiritual traditions, particularly with the modern U.S. American Bible. It's really important that, again, I let you know that there's lots of stuff missing from that book that was not included, and it was voted on what would be included by rich men. So who unfortunately don't have a really solid reputation throughout humanity. Okay? There we go. There's lots of stuff that was added to the Bible as well. And while it doesn't necessarily detract from the overall message of love, um, it certainly detracts because people have used it to cause incredible harm, such as the African slave trade and colonization and indentured servitude, as well as the genocide of the Native Americans. Just to name a few. So, all of that being said, we don't worship the Bible. No, we don't. But we use it as a reference to understand the divine. Back to my story about Jesus in Gethsemane. So it's a really beautiful experience, and I love Jesus. He's such an amazing character. He was such a good person. He's praying, and he's about to embark on his ultimate purpose, and that is to go to the cross to be completely humiliated publicly and then to be shamed on the cross and uh, hor just it's a really horrible experience, right? And he knew these things. He, Jesus was a prophet. He knew what purpose he was serving. He knew that he was risking his life by speaking truth to power. And he knew that he was really causing controversy because he was going up against major powers that included religion and spirituality into the law. So before Jesus is about to go to the cross, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he has his, um, some of his closest apostles, disciples, slash friends who believed in him there with him. And he tells them, I need you to pray. Okay, I need you to keep watch. I need you to stay awake and I need you to pray. 
And there's this one friend, his name is Peter, and he's so endearing because he always has such good intentions and he just kind of always ends up fucking things up. <laughs> so it's okay. You know, we're all, we're all pretty much Peter in many ways. So Peter uh, has this really great intention. He's like, okay, Lord, like I'm going to stay awake and nobody's going to, or like I'm going to be committed to the cause, right? And then Jesus goes and checks on him and he's sleeping. <laughs> And it's so, like, can you imagine, like, you know you're about to be completely uh, crucified and, like, one of your best friends falls asleep? It's like, can't you just give me a moment of peace? <laughs> like, I need you to just not sleep right now, okay? You have no idea the kind of stress that I'm under. So Jesus is praying, and there's, you know, some manuscripts will include a text about blood, and then there's just kind of some talk about his prayers were so intense he starts sweating blood. And this is what the dark night of the soul looks like. It's this really profound absence of holiness. And you have no idea where God is. And you are desperate on your knees. Even if you know that your purpose was given to you by God, you still know that you, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. It's really, really profound. When Jesus again asks God, he begs God that this cup, that this burden would pass him, all the while knowing that his destiny is to go forth with the crucifixion. But he even though Jesus's own spirit is willing, his flesh is weak. It's so weak. This is spiritual transformation in every regard. Desperate in the night that the will of God be changed, begging for it to look different than what it does, even if you are the son of God. Still begging the father for something else because what you have in front of you is too painful and too goddamn fucking scary why who wants to die for humanity nobody deserves it nobody deserves it don't i mean do we think that jesus was really happy about his crucifixion and that he did it willingly no he didn't want to do that he really struggled with it he was really hurting That is the ultimate darkness. Where are you, God? I do not want to do this. I am not ready to go forth with this. This is not what I want. Please take this cup from me. Peter, wake up. Please just keep watch. You have no idea how scared I am right now. And we know that and what ends up happening 
based off of this story is that uh, Judas comes with, um, <clears throat> I guess you'd call them police type people or people who enforce the law and they capture Jesus and they crucify him because he stood up for what was right. And it wasn't pretty. It was really icky, actually. They hurt him really badly. My sister made this really beautiful analogy about the separation of God in that moment. And I keep thinking about when I was talking about this or this with my family the other day, I, I keep thinking to myself, how much darkness did Jesus feel when he had to be separated from divine like that? And what was that like? When, when his entire identity and everything that he knew about his purpose was completely stripped of him because he knew long, because he had to relinquish control and had to trust his, his divine purpose, even though it didn't feel like love. It didn't feel like that. It didn't feel like a fruit of the spirit. It didn't feel like patience or self-control. It felt like an injustice and a brutal act of betrayal because it was. This is a dark night of the soul. And there's this really beautiful transition in the story of the Christ where after he dies, Mary, his beloved, and the other Mary, his mother, take his body and they prepare it for death. And can you imagine taking your baby or taking your beloved and having to mend their wounds like that? And then they put him in a tomb and they go and check on him and he's not there. <laughs> Where did he go? It's this really beautiful mystery and there's actually an incredible song by The Truth, and it's called Da Vinci Code. It's amazing. Please listen to this song. And um, even though I don't agree with everything that he's saying, it's one of the pillars in my identity as a, a mystic Christian. So they can't find, you know, there's tradition that says that they couldn't find Jesus' bones and they don't know where they are. But I've been to Rome, and his cross is on display. But we don't, I don't really know if that was made by, by, like, this isn't funny, excuse me. I mean, it's kind of funny, but it's not. It's actually a really tragic experience. But I don't really know if that was really his cross. You know, somebody could have made it and put it in this box thing, and it said, like, this is the cross of Jesus. Nevertheless, the point is, He was transformed into his glory. That's why death can't hold him down, right? So this shadow and this darkness and this debilitating grief and sorrow 
transitions the Christ into his fullness, where he resonates again and shines again, just like the full moon. So you can see the necessity to be in the new moon. And you can see the necessity to have that dark night of the soul. And you can see the value of these incredibly transformative spiritual experiences that keep us grounded and awake. When things are very uncertain. I'm planting these seeds with us today because I believe we are on the cusp of a great transition. I've spoken about it a little bit in previous the the previous two episodes. Um, I think we will find as culture continues to change and transition throughout the rest of the year that there will be some dark nights of the soul that some did not transition through and did not emerge a butterfly from. And there will be others where there are butterflies all over the place. And it would not, it's not what any of us would have anticipated. My prayer for you, dear listener, is that you give yourself permission to have a shadow And you give yourself permission to be flawed. And I know that I've said this and, you know, I can hear some people I deeply love pushing back and saying, Priscilla, like, why are you telling people to forgive people who've harmed them? Listen, in order for us to move on from pain, you have to forgive. And you just got to trust that there's something beyond you that will take care of justice because you can't always do that. But we're going to try and seek justice as much as possible on this planet, right? That's why we have the feminine lens, and that's why it's really important. Nevertheless, we may not always see that, and we may not always have that come into fruition. But in order for us to move forward, we have to let go. That doesn't mean we release boundaries, and it doesn't mean that, oh, we pretend like nothing ever happened. No, again, no, that's not what we're doing but we are acknowledging that we too are human. We too have a shadow. And if even the Christ can acknowledge his shadow and can own it, so can we. Happy new moon, my friends. I bless you. I'm praying for you. Please pray for me. Our next episode, we're going to get into the real nitty-gritty of politics and religion and 
now that we've planted some seeds and had a little bit of growth and laid a good foundation, we can start wrestling a little bit more. But in this time frame and in this space, I want to just acknowledge that you deserve to exist exactly as you are, flaws included, and they should not keep you in a constant state of shame. And if you have been in a constant state of shame and you are ready to make a transition, give yourself permission to grow and to let go of that which is holding you back. Just let it go. You are not who you once were. And each time the ego dies, it will cling to an idea of an identity in order to survive because that identity kept you safe. If you really want to see the work of God in your life, let that identity go and step into the newness of love, the fullness of that dark night. God bless you, my friends. I'll see you on the next episode.